I have to be honest with you. This episode of A Scary Home Companion is as bleak and dark as anything I've ever done before. And the ending, quite frankly, pisses me right off. Consider yourself warned. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music and mayhem, fearful fiction and furious fact. Tall tales and terrible truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. Killing is a part of living. It is as ingrained into our human nature as breathing or sleeping. And yet there are many striations and levels to killing, some of which are acceptable and others not so much. For example, to kill for food or for survival is one thing. To kill for sport or for the pure love of killing is very much another. There is a special breed of humanity that seems to thrive on the killing of beautiful things. One such man was Perry Ambrose, a man of means and ends, a master taxidermist, a church deacon, brother to three, father to seven, a skilled marksman, a soldier who had served in multiple rifle brigades, and later in life became the most notorious big-game hunter who ever lived. Throughout the entire back end of the 20th century, Ambrose was easily the most feared and deadly shooter in the world. He traveled to the most remote regions to track and kill only the most rare and elusive of game. He was not a big game hunter. He was the big game hunter. A man who lived for the kill. He had a drive to kill as many different types of life as he possibly could. Ambrose always traveled with a full caravan. He claimed to have taken life on every continent, and there were none who could dispute that. If if an animal became endangered, he put it at the top of his list and made sure to hunt it and kill it before it disappeared forever. He killed a Falklands wolf, a Queen Sheba's gazelle, a Tasmanian tiger, Caspian tiger, a clouded leopard. Have you heard of a quagga? It's like a half-zebra, half-horse that has stripes on the front end. He killed one of those just before it went extinct. His trophy room was legendary. The man had a head and usually the hooves or forepaws from almost every single kind of animal in the world, at least the ones dangerous or exotic enough to be worth killing. So, To kill these rare and exotic animals for sport or for the pure love of killing is one thing. To kill humans is very much another. During his travels, Ambrose founded the first of the floating hunts. And I'm sure by now you've all probably heard about the floating hunts before. They're pay for play. Top dollar buy-ins to hunt humans in a judgment and repercussion-free setting. They're called floating because the locations are never the same twice over. They could happen in any remote stretch anywhere in the world. 
They say Ambrose started the floating hunts because, just as he wanted to kill every type of animal, he also wanted to kill every type of person. The high-dollar buy-ins for the shooters were to pay for the best possible quarry. Ambrose wasn't interested in hunting panicked, unsuspecting victims. At this point, he needed more. He offered very good money to ex-cops, military vets, survivalists, athletes, anyone who wanted to try and survive a hunt. And you would think that that wouldn't work. Really, it shouldn't have worked. Except for one thing. Ambrose paid very good money. And he actually paid it. This is a man with a code. He wasn't a hand-wringing villain. He paid in full every time. If you survived, you got paid and released. If you died, the full payment went to whatever next of kin you had specified. And Ambrose always paid it. Guaranteed money for a suicide run is much more attractive to folks than you might think it is. The floating hunts remain a grand tradition and stay active to this very day. But they weren't the worst of the evils Ambrose brought into the world. Far from it. is brought to you by the Common Sense Hunters of America, who remind you to eat what you kill, or else you're probably kind of a dick. As savage as they were, the floating hunts still had a sense of honor about them. Sure, there were off-brand, black-market-style hunts in the world, ones that abducted people or used prisoners, but the floating hunts had a code. You were not just shooting fish in a barrel here, you were stalking other predators. After a few years, Ambrose finally shed any last vestige of honor he might have had. He turned the floating hunts over to his associates, and he started out on more private ventures. At this point, there was nothing alive that he hadn't killed, gutted, stuffed, and put on display. Now he started keeping more... odd company, you could say. He started chasing myths and legends. He started taking advice from shaman and occultists. Everyone who knew Ambrose thought he was losing it in his old age. At this point, he would have been about 70. And yet, to friends and family, he seemed as fit and vital as a man 30 years younger. He claimed it came from clean living. 
You see, <laughs> Ambrose was a strict vegetarian. He only consumed vegetables and grains, and he drank an insane amount of fruit juice. That's what he said, anyway. Still, regardless of his health regimen, he was getting on in years and well over the hill. Behind his back, people laughed about his hunts to find the Sasquatch, the Yeti, the Chupacabra. The mocking, idle gossip, none of it bothered Ambrose. He was a man who had seven different sons by seven different women in seven different countries. So scandal had always dogged him, but it never seemed to matter to him. Nothing mattered to him. There was only the hunt. One day... Ambrose outfitted a large outrigger with all manner of weapons. He only brought two men along with him this time. A salty local sea captain named Diedrich, and a mysterious Haitian man who no one had recalled seeing before that day. Ambrose had heard whispers and murmurs about an island in the Devil's Triangle, an island that was populated by a tribe of savages, these savage folk were said to practice ritual self-mutilation, and they were known to torture, rape, and kill anyone who went to their shores. Local islanders in the area considered them devils, boogeymen. This was to be Ambrose's greatest hunt, and he brought with him enough weapons to start a small war. Two weeks later, he returned to land, a changed man. The salty sea captain and his boat were never seen again. The Haitian man, who was found to be called Bookman, became the closest confidant to the old man Ambrose. If Ambrose had been reclusive before, now he was a veritable hermit. He only ventured out into the world once every year. It was for a new and different kind of hunt a private hunt in service to a dark alien god. He called it the Gunny Sack Races. This is Mary Ann Simpson. Every week on A Scary Home Companion, I bring you interviews with real people from all across the country. People with strange or unusual tales to tell. What's your story? Contact me at a scary home companion at gmail.com.
Tantan Makut was the name of a traditional Haitian boogeyman. The legend goes that Makut, or Uncle Gunnysack, was a disfigured old man who always carried a large burlap sack over his shoulder. He was known to scoop up bad children and stuff them into his sack, and they were never seen again. Tantan Makut is one of the most feared myths in Haitian and Creole culture, which is why many years later the feared paramilitary secret police force adopted the same name. After returning from the Devil's Triangle, Perry Ambrose had become obsessed with the legend of Tantan Makut. He ordered an official change to the floating hunts going forward. Those men who ran the hunts were now to conceal their identities beneath simple burlap sacks. No one was quite sure why he ordered this. Was it to protect their identities now after all this time? Was it a business decision? Regardless of the reason, everyone still answered to Ambrose, as well as paying him off regularly and handsomely for every hunt. So they did as they were told. From that point on, they became referred to as the Gunny Men. But even Ambrose's most trusted associates didn't know what he was secretly working on. The ultimate hunt. A hunt with a sinister goal beyond the pale of money or sport or anything even remotely human. This hunt was to be a blood sacrifice. Ambrose had returned from the Triangle as a man of faith now, a man who believed in Tantan Makut and sought to replenish his unholy bloodlust the only way that he knew how with a hunt. And thus began the gunny sack races. The gunny sack races were not floating. They took place on a remote ranch Ambrose owned in the wilds of Cuba, at the foot of the Sierra Miestra Mountains. These hunts were not open to the public or to buy-ins. Anyone selected to participate received an envelope in the mail containing a swatch of burlap. They would know where and they would know when the hunt was going to happen. Each year, 12 joined Ambrose for the gunny sack races. They each wore burlap masks, save for Ambrose. The goal of these gunny sack races, it wasn't to kill a worthy opponent this time. It was not a contest. It had no measure of cunning or skill about it. This was a sprint to see who could tally the highest body count in the shortest amount of time. To kill a person who can defend themselves is one thing. To kill a person who can't is very much another. It was all done in service to his new god, a god of suffering and anguish. Evil really does exist in the world. Evil is real and evil is tangible. Moments of such monumental cruelty and suffering feed on this evil and inflict a spiritual wound upon all of us, upon humanity as a whole, as a collective. The quarry for the gunny sack races were brought in crates or cages 
or simply stuffed inside burlap sacks. These were people who had no hope of escape, people who had no chance of survival. They were the elderly, the sick, the mentally challenged, the physically handicapped. Prisoners from death row, still in shackles hand and foot. Malnourished street urchins who wouldn't be missed. Unclaimed toddlers from the orphanage. The weakest, the most defenseless, the most innocent of us. Those who needed protection the most. That was the quarry in the gunny sack races. That was the prey. The very point of this hunt was the merciless slaughter of the weak, of the defenseless, and of the innocent. This was not a hunt at all, just a blood sacrifice, an act that required a complete and utter submission to evil, a complete and utter renunciation of everything human. Ambrose personally attended the gunny sack races every year until his death. Twenty-one of them, in sum and total. And somehow, for me... That's not even the worst part. And now for my money, what is the most chilling and heartbreaking part of this entire wicked story. After a long, rich lifetime filled with murder, sadism, torture, pure, unmitigated evil, a lifetime of snuffing out life and relishing in the effervescence of human suffering, Perry Ambrose died of natural causes at the ripe old age of 98. He died peacefully, laying in his own bed, on his own estate, after drinking a full carafe of wine 
from his own private vineyard. He died surrounded by his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. Perry Ambrose died happy, smiling, surrounded by love. That's how it ends. Can you fucking believe that shit? That's how it ends. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Scary Home Companion. Today's episode was written and directed by Nathaniel Hensley and produced and edited by myself, Carl Offenberg. Today's music was written and recorded by Black Agnes from their album Tales from the Black Agnes. Our opening theme was recorded for us by the very talented Chelsea Oxendine. Check out more of Chelsea's music on YouTube at her channel Chowson, that's C-H-A-L-S-E-N. Our interviewer, Marianne Simpson, was played, as always, by the wonderful Jamie Hensley. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends.